Welcome to The Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real-life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Well, there, there's a story of, uh, of a triathlon, a sprint triathlon that I ran, and my first one that I did, I did with my daughter, Avery. Uh, she wanted to do this, and we did the best we could to, to get ready for it, to swim, to run, to bike, to do all that stuff. But it, we were just not prepared. Um, so we went to Lake Louisville, I mean, uh, Lake Grapevine, uh, and ran the race. It took us like five hours. It was, it was <laughs> horribly embarrassing. They actually were announcing the winners, and we hadn't even started running yet. So we'd done the swim, the bike, and they're like announcing, Avery Bruntmeyer, you won your category. She's like, I haven't finished yet. Well, she was the only one that was there, so she won. But it took forever for us to do the bike five hours later, and it's a sprint triathlon. It's supposed to be done in two hours. We roll up, and she's got first place in her category, I'm, and we're, but we're both last place. Mm. We run together. That being said, I thought two years later, I need to do this again because I've enjoyed biking. I enjoy running and swimming. And so let me do it again. So I did it this last, this March, 2021. Uh, I'd gotten ready, was prepared. Snowmageddon happens. Mm -hmm. So it's cold out. It's March. It's still a little cold. I have a wetsuit and I'm getting ready. Um, I go down to, and I'm going to say Burnett, Texas. It's Burnett, Durnett. It's not Burnett, because they will tell you that. So at Reveille Ranch, we get out there, and I notice it's it's about 7.30 in the morning, and there's like mist, like steam coming from this little pond that we're supposed to be swimming in. And I'm thinking, this is not good, because it's either cold in the water or it's cold outside oh, in the air, yeah. and I can't remember what I learned in, in Meteorology 101. But something's not right, and so, okay. But I've got my wetsuit. We all get down there, get ready for the, the race. Um, and I'm like, okay, get your headphones in, because I listen to headphones, listen to music while I'm swimming. They're waterproof. And I start swimming, and I've been used to swimming like a mile mm. every time I go swimming at the pool. But I get there, and I'm swimming, and I don't make it but 200 yards, and I start getting dizzy. Wow. Oh. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. Am I going out too fast? Because they're all passing me. It can't be fast. <laughs> is the wetsuit too tight? Am I blood restricted? What's going yeah. on? Do I have a brain-eating algae that's now seeped into <laughs> my ears? That was number one. On the, on the survey says number one is brain-eating algae. And so I, I do the humiliating thing, which no one should ever do. There's canoes all over mm-hmm. every 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Put my hand on the canoe with the person who's sitting there to save your life if you should yeah. drown. And I'm so embarrassed. It's 200 yards. And I know the person's like, dude, you are not prepared <laughs> for this. We just started and you're asking for help. But my head is spinning. And then I go, I'm like, okay, 20 seconds later, my head's fine. Huh. So I go and I start swimming again. I'm like cruising along and I'm like, this is dizzy. I'm like, what's going on? And I can't, I can't get straight in my head. So I go to the next canoe. I do that the whole time. It's like 800 meters and I do it four times. Wow. Or I guess it would be three times. The last 200 meters I'm struggling and then I get out of the water and I'm stumbling up the bank. And I trip over a log and 
I'd sit on the side and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And then 20 seconds later, I'm fine. Wow. No dizziness, no nothing. So I had two goals with the race. One was to finish it and the other was to enjoy it. And so that wasn't enjoyable, but I thought, <laughs> okay, just at least finish it. So I got on the bike and took off and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I don't get to go do mm. this mm-hmm. every day of my life. I'm loving this. There's cattle out there. I'm running into calves. <laughs> They're crossing the paths and you have to be careful what they drop behind them and all that <laughs> stuff, but I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I, I ended up getting on the computer and, and going doing a little Google search. Uh, dizziness water triathlon. And up, up pops this first search response, which is cold water vertigo. Mm. I'm like, ooh, what's that? Click on it. I learned that if you get cold water in your ear, for some people, it's so bad that you can get dizzy to the point of falling over. Wow. So I guess I'm one of those people. I asked my brother, he's a doctor, uh, teaches in medical school down in San Antonio. I said, what do you know about this cold water vertigo? He goes, actually, people who um, we worry about their brain health, maybe they might be brain dead, we'll actually put cold water in their ears just to see if they respond because they'll, there'll be a response from that. I'm like, okay, great. Well, obviously, I'm still alive and could have drowned there. But I always, when I have situations like that, I always say, okay, God, I just went through this thing. Is there a meaning behind this? Mm. Because I personally believe every single person you meet is a divine appointment. Mm. Every event that happens to you is a divine inspiration or educational time mm. for God to say, hey, I'm talking to you. Mm. So I said, God, what, you, what were you saying through this? The only thing I could gather was this. Um, we are all swimming. We're all in a race God has set before us. And it's not the same race. They all have, we all have different paths to get, you know, in the water and out and through the mountain biking and all that. It's all, it's similar, but it's not the same. But the race requires us to swim through culture Hmm. and we have to actually get in the water. It doesn't matter where you've been practicing. You got to get into the real water and you got to swim through culture. And when you swim through culture, it's cold. And for some of, of us, it's going to affect us in a great way. And culture can be good and bad. But if you allow culture to seep in, it could cause you to be dizzy to the point of drowning. Mm. And it's humbling to have to actually hold on to something for safety. But sometimes God requires you to do that. The only way to, and I told this to my kids, I told this to the athletic staff, I told this to the RAs that we just uh, introduced to their first semester. Y'all, our students are swimming through culture. And... A lot of them are dizzy from what's going on. They don't know, how do they take this? Hmm. Some of them think it's a brain-eating algae. And they're, they're, <laughs> it's, it's gone. But God requires us to swim through it. And he's got a safety net for us. But he also says, whatever you do, keep every thought captive. What I learned about cold water vertigo is if you'll stick earplugs in a certain type, it'll keep the cold water out. Hmm. And I told my kids, every thought that comes into your mind, you've got to keep it in a cage. And you got to look at it and examine it and say, is this something I ought to let loose in my brain or not? And if not, then open up the door and let it escape somewhere else. Um, it's our job to make sure that we're swimming along with our students, with our families, with our coworkers, through culture, and not allow it to drown us. But to get through that race and, quite frankly, to go along in that race with others because mm-hmm. they might be struggling. And whether to be the canoe or just to be a swimmer next to them, do it for their safety too. So um, interesting, embarrassing story, but it's definitely God speaking 
God is speaking all the time. It just matters if we're we're listening or not. Wow, that is a great word. See, if that happened to me, I would have been like, man, that stunk. <laughs> that would have been where the story ended. <laughs> I don't think I would have kept swimming. I would have stopped. <clears throat> well, wow. I had that thought, and I certainly thought about, you know, this is over. I'm done. But Yeah, but what a great picture. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a fantastic picture. So um, how long of a run and a swim and a bike is that? It's only 800 meters for swim, so you should be done in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> not me. Um, <laughs> I would the, be done in three. <laughs> so the, the mountain biking is about 13 miles, and so that's about an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you're running about three miles to four miles after that, which for some of those ladies and men out there, they were just sprinting the whole thing. And I'm, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a usual time you ought to finish. I actually knocked two hours off my time. Nice. But it's because <laughs> the other one was so bad. So uh, I enjoyed it. I had a great time and, and always enjoy getting out and spending time, especially mountain biking. I love mountain biking. Yeah. Man, what a great, what a great story. Um, great illustration. I appreciate it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Testament. My name is Jeff Keck. And I'm Jess Kirchmeyer, and we're here in Abilene at Hardin-Simmons University with Dr. Eric Bruntmeyer. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. I appreciate y'all coming out here to lovely Abilene and enjoying our wonderful windy weather today. Yeah. Tell us a little about, about yourself. Well, um, born in Titusville, Florida, which no one has ever heard of, but they've all heard of Cape Canaveral, where mm-hmm. they shoot the rockets off. So Born there, lived all over the United States, moved every two and a half years because um, my dad worked for the federal government. Mm. And so every two and a half years, you get new friends and and you move to a new place. And I will tell you, that is one piece that changed my spiritual DNA. Um, ended up in Texas, um, crossed the Texas lines from Alabama, Mobile, Alabama to um, Arlington, Texas. And when I crossed the lines, we stopped at a Mexican food place and ate this stuff that looked like dog food. (laughs) And it was refried beans. And I love refried beans, but man, it didn't look good the first time I ate it. Um, Grew up in Arlington, had great friends and great church, um, inspiring youth pastors. Mm. um, And then uh, went on to Dallas Baptist University and Texas Tech, Baylor Law School. And then came back to Fort Worth and practiced law for about seven years. Uh, all the while, I got married to my wife, Elise. Um, she's an Arlington girl, born in Midland, and I met her at church. Uh, we've got five kids, mm. Kai, Noah, Avery, Shea, and Hallie, and they are a handful. Um, they're all older now, which is, makes it a whole lot more fun. <laughs> um, but Elise and I, uh, I worked at Dallas Baptist. She was a real estate agent and, and a teacher in Kennedale, Texas for a year. And uh, we moved out here to Abilene to to take on responsibility of loving and caring for the folks of Hardinson University. So I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you guys coming and coming to my home. I live yeah, on campus here, yeah. 30 seconds away. So. It's, a, it's not often I meet somebody that's got more kids than me. So I've got four. Um, how old is your youngest? My youngest is 15. Oh, see, um, my youngest is six. Okay. So we're still there. My oldest is 19, though, so it's a nice spread. That is a good spread. That <laughs> makes it a, a little bit easier. We had two or three in diapers at one time, and boy, that's oh. a... Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be done with those. Uh, but anyway, um, so this show is all about our testimonies in Jesus. So if you would share with us um, your testimony about how you found Jesus and then uh, what he's done in your life since that time. Well, uh, it, to me, it really starts in, in Maryland. Uh, my parents, uh, when my dad worked in D.C., um, they went to a church by the name of Mount Christian Church. Hmm. And uh, my brother ex- had accepted Christ. 
and I'd found out what that was. And I'm like, I'm going to accept Christ too. Um, and I think I did it because every time you, your older brother does something or your older sister does something, you, you want to do it too. Uh, and for a child, I understood as much as I could understand about Christ and what he did. But um, the interesting part is God continues to, and I, I'll use the term in air quotes, work out your salvation. Um, and it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think God was working out my salvation. And I'll give you an example. In uh, fourth grade, I was in Mobile, Alabama, and I had a, a teacher that during lunch, she would read C.S. Lewis's uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe and, and, mm. and Chronicles of Narnia to us. And you just sit down on the floor, and I'm going to read to you after lunch and just picture these stories. Those stories were ingrained in me, um, especially to the point, I think it was uh, uh, one of the, the young boys in, in one of them, I think it was in the line of Witch and Wardrobe, um, basically betrays his whole family and uh, deserves to die. And, and um, Aslan comes and takes his place. Um, I heard that story in fourth grade and I was like, oh, that's great. What a mm. great story. But I went back and reread those books. I think it was 16. I was at Martin High School in Arlington and God was really working on me at the time another event that occurred. Um, but I reread those books and I got to that point um, and I realized, wait, this story is not a fictional story. This story is about me. Mm. God is the lion that just got up on the table and took the sacrifice for me. I don't deserve this. Mm. I'm, I'm undone. And I think it was really at that point in time, God was like, yes. I'm changing you. We, we've got to keep moving, keep moving. And I, I, I wrote that in your heart in fourth grade, but I'm, now I'm, I'm pulling that out to tie that. Um, I had a youth pastor, Billy Nunez, um, at Teach Springs Baptist Church. Billy sat down with us one time and said, um, I'm going to challenge you to do everything that God asked you to do, to be committed to him this one year. Do everything he asks you, without question, just do it. And after one year of you committing to this, if he has not made a difference in your life, you are welcome to walk away from him hmm. and the church. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Never have <laughs> to get up on accepted. Sunday. Yes, challenge accepted. <laughs> I tell this story to super summer kids that come on campus. Anybody can tell. I'm 52. It made a difference mm. that one year, and mm. I couldn't give up from then. And so that challenge and that that part of the book that C.S. Lewis wrote really came back and said, okay, let's seal this deal here. Um, you had a childlike faith. Now I need you to have an adult-like faith, and I, I want to walk with you. Yeah. So if I can this. interrupt for just a second, because I'll forget if we don't. Um, but during that year, were you did you have the mindset of, oh, yeah, no, I got this. I'm going to prove you wrong. Because, I mean, when you look at Josh McDowell and when you look at Lee Strobel and those people who spent time literally trying to disprove the Bible and disprove Christ, became Christians and evangelists because of it. You know, so you have a year challenge of trying to do everything that God tells you. You're like, you know what? Watch this. I got this. I think it was more of a... Um, <clears throat> I had heard the Holy Spirit nudging me and pushing me on a lot of different decisions. Mm -hmm. And I just cho chose to ignore. Mm. And it was at that point in time where that voice, I finally said, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you ask. Yeah. 
And let's see how this turns out. I'll give you an example. I was riding on a tractor with my grandfather in Iowa. And prior to that, I, I would not have done what I was about to do. He came up to a fence and uh, was on the tractor. And you, when you ride on the tractor, you kind of ride over the, the wheel well in the mm-hmm. back. And I was like, hey, let me go get that for you. And I jumped off, opened up the fence. He went through. He came back, and my parents were in the room, and he said, I've never had him do that for me. And it was, I did it without having to be asked because mm. it was looking out for someone else, looking out for what we're about to do. And that's not major. It was the tiny things that God was saying, hey, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And I just, I was doing my own thing. Mm. So it, it was more of a, okay, I'm going to give up the little decisions and I'm going to do those things. And let's see how it turns out. Yeah, my awesome. demeanor changed uh, um, about um, my view towards people. Um, and that, that was a start of a lot of other things. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a, I'm going to show you wrong. It was more of a, okay, I'm going to try it yeah. and see what happens. Uh, I don't think it's going to work, but there you go. So um, there's some other times, and I, I really, I don't think God just, you know, convicts you and you're saved and then he just kind of walks away and says, hey, two thumbs up. Good luck seeing the end. Yeah, um, It is a daily walk in a relationship that he wants to have with you. And I can talk about God's stories upon God's stories upon God's stories um, that to, to tie a bow around it, you can tell me that you don't believe in God and I feel disappointed for you because quite, quite frankly, you don't know what you're missing, number mm-hmm. one, but number two, how sad it is that you have to go through without someone to walk this thing mm-hmm. with. Yeah. But if someone was to come and say, God doesn't exist, I just look at him and go, you know, I got too much. Mm. I got too much evidence in my life for you to say that, for me to want to believe that at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's overwhelming. I'm a lawyer. It's not it's not just greater weight and preponderance. It's not clear and convincing. This is beyond all doubt, mm. not just a reasonable doubt. It's beyond all doubt because I've seen him do this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. So that being said, um, the, the testimony that I can give to you or can share is not just of this one point. It's there's this daily thing that I think is our testimony mm. of his daily refining of us um, whether we want it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So that, how old were you then during that one year of, uh, try this? I was about 16. I was driving a sweet Chrysler Cordoba, <laughs> the Doba Testarossa. And, um, and, and God was also working out some pride and arrogance, mm. um, and continued to do that for some time. And, and, uh, that's, that's a hard thing. Um, when you look more highly and think more highly of yourself than others around mm. you, um, you can't cross that bridge right. to, to visit the folks on the other side because it's just, well, I don't go there. Uh, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, didn't get in trouble in high school. And so, you know, you start looking down and thinking yourself more highly. And that's not what God did. Mm. That's not what Jesus did when he came to earth. So now there was a lot of that had to be worked out. Yeah. Also. So a year of doing that at 16. So now from 16 on, 
So are, what's it now? What's it like now? Are you solely dedicated now? I mean, you've you've decided this is it. I mean, well, after that year, I didn't I, I didn't have much choice. I was like, okay, yeah, you yeah. win, God. <laughs> but there have been struggles along the way, and and I'll give you an example. Um, um, there was a time I had gotten out of I'd gone to um, Texas Tech, went to Baylor Law School, got out and was practicing law in Fort Worth, and uh, God was still chasing me down, saying. We're, we we got a direction we got to go and you're not going that direction. One situation occurred and this was in Keller when we lived in Keller and uh, I was working in Fort Worth. At least was in going to North Texas. Um, I had a dream and there are three parts to the dream and uh, I do think God speaks through your dreams at times. Sometimes it's the pizza, but sometimes it's actually God. Um, <laughs> the tacos. The tacos. Yeah, too too spicy. Yeah. Um, but here's the dream. Um, I was walking along a mountainside, snow-capped mountains on my left left here, and uh, there's this beautiful music that's coming over the mountains, and um, it is, it's almost like a choir was singing every note that was to be that could be played, and the music was actually one of the choir members not singing that note, Hmm. and I, I. I, I can't explain any other way. I've never seen it done. I don't know, but it's just like you took everything on the piano and you pressed down every single key except for one, and that's the song. So each one time it wasn't played, that was the song. It was, I don't know how to explain, but it's the most beautiful song yeah. I'd ever heard. And I'm walking, I've got my hands lifted, I'm just praising. And I'm like, you know, I'm not in heaven, but it's close. It's just <laughs> like right over that mountain. And this is beautiful. Love this. And then the scene changes, and I'm in front of this burning building, and my friend uh, is coming out. He's actually standing outside, and he's looking for his family who's on the inside, and it's on fire. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, my family's in there. It's on fire. I don't know where they are. I don't know how how to get them out. And then it changes to this third part. And I'm in a mall, very much like the Parks Mall in Arlington. Mm. Um, And I'm walking around, and we all know it's the last day on Earth. And so there are folks who are... Um, shopping and people who are doing, you know, having fun activities. And I look out the window and for some reason there's a lake near Parks Mall. Um, <laughs> and there, there are people skiing and, and, and parasailing. And I'm like, great, people are having fun. And then there's people on benches in the mall crying and sobbing. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this and I can't do, but I know where I'm going. And so I look over to this Christian bookstore. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in there. That's maybe that's where I ought to be. Um, hanging out with folks who have a hope. So I I walk towards the bookstore, and at the threshold of the store, there's this thing that walks out, and I'm like, ooh, my hair on the back of my neck just stands up. And and I point at it, and I say, I know who you are. And it says, I know who you are too. And it was Satan. And he says, I don't know why God even bothers with you. You are such a waste. You've done nothing for him. You're a nobody and a nothing. Hmm. And I'm like, hey, did y'all just see this? And nobody else sees it. And I walk in. And I I walk into the bookstore thinking, no, all these folks are like they're ready to get on a train. Um, They're prepared. They're ready. But I just walked out. Why was he walking out of here? 
And so I immediately wake up and I start crying. Hmm. And my wife and I, um, at the time, were living in Keller. I got out of the, the bed. I went into the, the living room. And I kneeled down and put my face in the cushions and I cried. And I will tell you, I cried for like an hour straight. And here's the reason why I was crying. Satan was right mm. to a degree. I'd done nothing for God. It had all been for me. God did value me. He did care about me. But he had no reason to do that other than yeah. he hoped for the future. But Satan always takes a little bit of truth and wraps it in a bunch of lie. Mm -hmm. So it is true I hadn't done anything. And so as I was crying and, and crying out to God, I was saying, God, I'm so sorry. I've done nothing for you. I've been a waste. But if you'll just use me in some way, I'll do what you ask. But I'm sorry. Hmm. Even after that 16-year-old experience of giving him everything, it wasn't enough. God doesn't want us to just kind of walk alongside him. He's running and he wants us to run with him. And he's trying to wake up, in my mind, wake the giants up from their sleep. And we are giants in his eyes. But we're a waste if we're sleeping. So I was just bawling and crying and crying. And I finally got to the end. I was like, okay, I got it all out. There's nothing left. <laughs> I go in and lay down in the bed. And my wife goes, what is wrong? And I just start bawling all over again. Mm -hmm. And I tell her this story. Heaven's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. I've got friends that are not going there hmm. and their families. There's a whole world that's dying and perishing. And I am a waste if I don't do something about it. Now, do I need to sit on the corner and, and tell my story? No, sometimes I need to sit there and listen mm -hmm. to the pain that everybody else is going through and empty out their cup, sprinkle in a little bit and point to him. But just do that. Um, so that was a, a huge God moment where... He said, I've had enough, and, and we're going a new direction, and, and I'm going to make an impression upon you. And we're not, we're not going back. We're not going where you're going. You're going where I'm going. Yeah. Wow. So uh, this isn't on our list, but I was just curious. In, in the law field, um, were there opportunities to do that? To I mean, I feel like people coming to you in – a lot of broken situations when they're there or there opportunities for you to minister to those people or listen to them or like you said, sprinkle in their cup and point, point to him. And there were times I, uh, there's two examples I'll give you one. Um, there were, there were times when people would come to me and want to get a divorce. And I really struggled with that. Mm -hmm. I can get you a, a divorce in the eyes of the law, but in the eyes of God, I can't do that. That's between you and him. Mm -hmm. But I always told them, Here's the deal. I want you to get counseling. I want you to get help. And we will go through this whole process and know at the end, if there's any chance, even before I prove it up, the day of prove up of your divorce, if you say to me, we've reconciled, just know this much, I'm not charging you. Hmm. You pay the fees. We're good. Walk down the road. I can't let me be in the way of you maintaining that connection. Um, and there's a couple that did that. I was, I was pleasantly surprised when they called me and I was like, 
Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Good for y'all. Um, there was other times we had some clients that came in and, and, and one of the individuals, and I can use her name because I've, I've talked about her quite a bit, um, Iris Urbina, um, a lady from South Fort Worth. Like she lived off of South Jennings. Uh, she was a client of ours in different situations. She had a young son named Arturo, and Arturo um, was a, a handsome young man, um, good kid. Got in trouble for stealing a bike and and doing some stuff. And um, I said, you know what, Iris, I need to take him to church. And so started picking Arturo up and taking him to St. Springs. Um, the first Sunday, I drove up to the house. And you look at the house and you go, wow, this is rough. This neighborhood's rough. This is a rough situation. Mm -hmm. She was legally blind, um, wasn't married at the time. Had five kids, some multiple, from multiple fathers. Um, and you can look at that and go, well, you know, self-righteous me. Or you can just have immense compassion. And I think God opened the door for me to, to for my heart to be broken. Um, took Arturo to church. Um, next Sunday, he came out to the truck and said, hey, do you mind if Carlos comes? Like, sure, I had a little Chevy S10 in room. <laughs> Go ahead. Took him home. The next Sunday, I, I want to say they invited me in, but they also asked if, our, if Gabriel and Gustavo could go. I was like, <laughs> we're going to squeeze in, but I think this is illegal. Um, but I walked into the house, and, and the boys were, the two older boys were sleeping on a couch, the same couch, and the two younger boys were sleeping on a rollaway bed mm. that they would roll out in the hallway and then roll back in. Uh, it was so small, so cramped, so all that stuff. Um, and she's just trying to make it mm -hmm. and keep those boys moving. Um, that was a time when I, I said, you know, I'm going to commit to this. And it was about three or four years that we actually took them to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. I paid them for their good grades. We celebrated their birthdays and Christmas mm -hmm. and stuff and uh, had Carlos live with us. Um, he was behind on reading and and um, that's a story in of itself. But mm -hmm. uh there are times when you can do that, mm -hmm. but um, they're a lot more rare than here at a yeah. campus where you could talk about it every single day, all day long. Yeah. So speaking of campus, tell us a little bit about Hardin Simmons. What? How did God bring you here? What has He done through here, through your time here? Every position and place that God has taken me is, has been His choosing and really his direction. Um, I believe in the push and pull. I believe in God pushing you out of where you're at and pulling you to where you need to be. Um, I think it was 2015, Dr. Cook, Dr. Gary Cook at Dallas Baptist University announces that he's going to retire by 2016. He'd been there 27 years. I'd been there about 14 or 15 of the years as a, and then had been CFO for about 13. I knew when he left, I needed to leave. That was my push. I had told my family that. I said, I think I need to get out of the way and let the next president bring in their team and do their thing. So for a year, I'm sitting there going, God, I feel the push, but where's the pull? Where are you pulling me to? Um, some people had said to me, you need to be the president. You need to apply for the job at DBU. And I prayed a lot about that. Um, again, in a dream, one of the search committee members in my dream was walking the beach with me, and she said, uh, your resume is one of the 20 we have, and it's at the bottom. 
It's like, okay, well, I guess that's a sign. Um, it's not my job. It wasn't my job. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even apply for it. They did ask for my resume, and that, that's a whole other God story. That being said, there was no pull anywhere. And so I said, um, God, what are we doing? I need to know. Uh, talked to a, a recruiter uh, about some different positions out there, and they said, why don't you apply for Hardin Simmons? And I said, okay. My father-in-law actually graduated from here, mm. and uh, uh, and Eloy Sepulveda, who I worked with in Fort Worth as a lawyer, also graduated from here. So I said, okay. So I applied, um, and they asked to interview me. I actually got up on January 1st of 2016 at 5 o'clock in the morning and drove out here Hmm. and got here about 7 o'clock, parked in the Scouts parking lot and got on my knees and said, okay, you got to talk to me. They're not asking for... um, I mean, nobody's pushing me through this thing. Either you're in this or you're not, mm-hmm. and I need to know. I got up and I walked around the whole campus maybe once or twice just praying, throwing prayer bombs and encouragement and, God, you need to speak to me. Got back in the car, and, and I believe God puts, he says, I give, I'll give you the desires of your heart. But I think that means he puts it in your heart, and like a magnet, he draws you to that thing. Mm-hmm. So... I've always thought, and I thought when I came to Hardin Simmons, God, you've got to put that. I don't have a desire to be here. Yeah, I've, I've never thought about it. You've got to put the desire in, and then you've got to draw me through that. You got to make it happen, because hmm. I'm not gonna. I don't have the power to do this. I'm not a provost. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I saw the things. I'm not. So this is your deal if it's your if it's gonna happen. So they interviewed me, um, and. I got a call back and they said, um, well, we've interviewed a lot of folks and I'm filling in the blank in my thought bubble and um, you're going to pick somebody else and thank you so much. And I, thank goodness, listened to the the rest of the comment and they said, (laughs) and we're down to two and you're one of them. Hmm. I went, oh, and I knew at that time it was certainly a God thing Mm -hmm. and it continued to be a God thing. Interviewed the second time and... uh, I got a call back the second time, and they said, uh, we've interviewed you and another person. And I'm thinking, and you're not chosen. And they said, we want you. Mm. And I went, whoa, this is go time. (laughs) Funny stories along the way um, about being introduced and things that I said and and did. Uh, One example is they're introducing me to the trustees at a board of trustees meeting. I had... um, tried on my suit pants that morning to get ready to see everybody. I had picked up my son's suit. He's like 32 and I'm like a 35 or 36. And I'm like, Elise, 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 they don't fit. She's like, what are you going to do? We don't have time. This is crazy. We can't even get to the store. What are we going to do? And I went, oh, well, I brought a second pair. She goes, don't do that to me. So we, there's, there's some fun times along the way. Needless to say, after they introduced me um, as the next president, I had about three or four months, and I came out um, to visit the campus usually once a week. Uh, took a day off and just said, "I'm going to get to meet everybody before I, everybody before I got here, just to hear what the, what's going on." And then I would take back the, this list of things. And uh, Vicky Britton, who was my administrative assistant DBU, and Danny Hassett, who is the associate vice president 
Financial Affairs at uh, uh, DBU, sat every morning at 8 o'clock for 15, 20 minutes and prayed for Arden Simmons. Mm, wow. The long list. And I call them the giants. Mm-hmm. What I prayed for early was, God, I want you to, when I walk on this camp- campus, I want giants to pop out of the ground. I want you to show every giant that has invaded this campus. And I want you to know that I believe you took out Goliath and uh, David used his hands to do it, but you took the breath away, Mm. that life away from Goliath, and David didn't. You just happened to use his hands. You need me, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll sit back and watch what you do. But I'm gonna pray for the glass to get out of t- out of out of their holes, almost like the uh, um, the prairie dogs up in in Lubbock, just popping out of the ground. I'm like, get them all the way out, get them all the way out. Uh, and sure enough, they did. They popped up, and we prayed. And there were times I wasn't even the president yet. I'd see a one of the glass jump up. The next day, dead. I'm like, you are alive and true and faithful. Um, so all that to say. God put me in this role. And I tell everybody, I interview every employee, you don't work for me. You don't work for your vice president or director or whatever. You work for him. I work for him. We serve in these capacities and serve others. But you don't work for me. Hmm. You have a higher standard than I would even set. I owe him everything, and I don't give him everything. I hope... When and I talk to the employees, just know that um, you and I just met five minutes ago. Why would you give your everything to me? Yeah. But you've known him your whole life. All I'm asking you to do is do what he asks you to do. Hmm. Back to the the youth pastor, give him everything. Yeah. So um, that's that's how I got here and and uh, been here since 2016. So best job I've ever had, Hmm. and I tell that to everybody. So 2016, so we're looking at what, I can't do math. That's five years? Five years. Five years? years, Okay. So in the five years that you've been here, um, what kind of, of, uh, I guess I asked for another God story, and that is in the students here. So what kind of stories have you seen um, in the students' lives here? Have you seen a student's life that's been completely changed, you know, by the Lord? or, Or have you had the opportunity to really help to lead a student? into a change, you know, by the Lord or something like that? Or can you give an example or something like that? I, I you don't have to use names or anything. I'll give you one example. We have this program called Christ Lieb. Mm-hmm. And Christ Lieb means Christ love in German. And there's a, a reason why we have that term. We use it on campus. That's what our James Simmons, Dr. Simmons, actually called the university from the very beginning, Christ Lieb College, mm. Christ Love College. He wanted it to be the College of Christ Love. So we created this program for widows, or excuse me, for orphans and foster kids. It's called Christ Lieb, um, where we give them tuition, room, and board for free to come. Um, we've got a long list, and we can only afford a few, but we get them to come because we want to be their forever family mm. when they age out of foster care, yeah, or wow. if if they don't have a family. You got homecoming. You got people. We got family. We had an individual who came through, and the stories that. I hear and read before we allow them to come into the program are as tragic as a murder-suicide of a mom and a dad. Mm. Dad murdered mom, then he committed suicide, kid left alone. What do you do with that? I mean, the trauma from that in and of itself, and then no anchor, Um, two parents in prison, um, 
a, a parent, a single parent that died and is living with, you know, friend of the family or whatever. So bad situations. Um, I think we step in, should be stepping into that to provide a place in a, in a way because it says in scripture, take care of the widows and orphans. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do it for the least of these, you've done it for me. So I, I, I share that with you because that I saw an, a student come through that program and very reticent to talk to anybody, very with, withdrawn, um, suspicious. And I'm a dad. <laughs> you're you're not going to get away with not talking. Uh-huh. I'm going to get in your life. And to use a term that one of my friends uh, used, I'm going to get up in your Cheerios. Now, I don't even know what that <laughs> means, but I was getting up in the Cheerios. Um, all that to say, for about three years now, I've seen this unpeeling of the callous, protective attitude to just finally becoming who God called him to be. And spiritually, I don't know where she's at Mm -hmm. because it's been so tight. But when you see her smiling, when you see her talking, when you're finally, it's almost like this closed up flower that's finally unfolded and you start seeing the beauty that that, uh, is out there. Um, That in and of itself is a great move. I've seen students on campus that uh, there's one young man he is on fire and walks this campus and has graduated, but walked this campus and was praying for it all the time. He'd stop by my house and just say, I'm prayer walking. I'm going to mm. pray for you right now. Wow. And so from the reticence to even show any emotion to I'm going to express my faith all, all the time, everywhere, um, I've been blessed. I get encouraged by these students. I live in the fountain of youth. Um, it keeps me forever young, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it, it certainly is a blessing. Tons of kids, and we can go through all of them. But um, I see my role as, and I don't know how this will be interpreted, as a chief love officer. Hmm. Love languages are the most important thing for anybody to know. Loving God and loving others are the two greatest commands. Um, I'm responsible to be fully filled, having my cup filled, sprinkling into others and pointing, but letting them experience some love and appreciation but pointed to him and saying he can fill your cup forever. Yeah. And I tell every employee, that is our only job here. I happen to do it in the president's role. You might do it as a police officer. You might do it in the nursing school. But our job is to love our students and and hope and press for their success in the future and introduce them to someone who will love them forever. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're going to shift gears and lighten things up a little bit okay. here. <laughs> all right. Not that it was dark. These are great stories. I could I could hear all I could sit here and listen to all your stories to be honest. <laughs> they fascinate me. <laughs> but we're going to do some trivia. Um so Jeff has not seen these questions either. Y'all are both going to be answering or maybe you can use him as your phone a friend or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you can try that, but I'm not getting these answers right anyway, I'm sure. They are multiple choice. I don't do trivia. They are multiple choice. So regardless of, of uh, you know, you'll get to guess something. You okay. won't be completely going, uh, so it'll be all right. <laughs> okay, so there's 10 questions, um, different categories. The first one is a general, just a general question, Okay. Um, general category. How many countries still have the shilling as currency? And you can get a bonus point if you can answer which countries. I only know of one. Okay. <laughs> 
answer is either eight, one, four, or zero. Hmm. I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the eight. I think it's the bigger number. Cause I only know of one, and if it, if it's if I only I like know of one, that. there's gotta be more than one. Can, I feel can like I, I can't. Can I, have can to I go with face. his answer? Are you revealing? You can go with whatever. I'm going with four. You are correct. It is it's four. Four. It's four. So I know you know which one. I know one. Which is Uganda. Yes, uh, he's been to Uganda. His my son, my oldest son, is from Uganda. We adopted him okay. from Uganda. Yeah. Other ones are Kenya, Tanzania, and Somalia. Okay. Use the shilling. Okay. Well, that's all right there. Yeah. It's all, right it's there. all there together. Yep. Okay, next question. Category is food and drink. What was the first soft drink to be drunk in space? Oh, I can't answer this. You already revealed it. You, you gave that question away a couple of days ago did to I? me. Yeah, I know the answer. Oh, I didn't. No, so it's I all, did that. It's all okay. you. Yeah, no. Okay. Tab, Coca-Cola, 7-Up, or root beer? Man. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go with Coca-Cola. You are correct. It's got to be. What? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So July 12th, 1985, they had these space cans, specially made cans okay. of Coca-Cola. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what year Coca-Cola came out? No. 1886. Oh, it's wow. The, it's the oldest. Well, actually, root beer came out in 1876. Okay. Tab was 1963 and 7-Up wasn't until 1929. But they all would have been available at that time. Man. Okay, another food and drink. I love chocolate, so I had to throw this question in there. Which country <laughs> consumes the most chocolate per capita? Now, this study was taken in 2018, so I don't know if it's... I, th I think it's still the same, though. Either Switzerland, mm. the USA, Brazil, or Germany. I know my answer. I'm going to go with Germany. I'm shooting for Brazil. No, you're both wrong. It's Switzerland. <gasps> oh, oh, my goodness. Switzerland has held this title for so long. I don't know why. What is it about the Swiss people? chocolate? Okay. Isn't that a thing? Swiss, I don't know. Swiss, Swiss Miss hot chocolate? <laughs> yeah, Swiss Miss. But Swiss they, Miss. in 2018, yeah. it was 19.4 pounds per capita. Wow. Per year. Like ration it out? Do they get it? I mean, every month they get <laughs> a pound of chocolate? You get a box of chocolate delivered to your door? I would live in Switzerland if they did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there. Okay, this category uh, is entertainment. Which I'm gonna lose. So there's four answers or four possible choices to choose from. Two of them are the correct answers. Which two of the following are the names of Cinderella's stepsisters? Elizabeth, Drizella, Beatrice, or Anastasia? I believe Anastasia is one of them. I know you both have daughters, so that's why I threw this question in there. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. I know y'all weren't. <laughs> what are the, okay, so I believe Anastasia is one of them. What are the other three? Elizabeth, Drizella, and mm, Beatrice. Drizella. Anastasia and Drizella. Are you? I'm going to go with what he says, because that sounds right. That would be correct. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So My girls facts. did me well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun facts. Um, the Disney version came out in 1950 of, C of Cinderella, but it was actually based on a story called Cindrillon, um, which this French author named Charles Perrault wrote in 1697. Wow. Oh, you did a lot of research on that. I question. did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ugh. next one, sports. Um, just one answer here. 
Who has won more tennis Grand Slam titles, Venus or Serena Williams? Of all the sports, you choose tennis. Yeah. So Venus ah, Williams those are, and Serena. See, and those are the two names you always hear about in tennis. So how would I know which one? Did you one know they're which? sisters? Yeah. Yeah. That was my fun so fact about The question about this was one. who who'd won Who what? has won more tennis Grand Slam titles? So Grand Slam. I'm going with Venus. Mm. Okay, I'll go with Serena. Yes, you would be correct, Jeff. It's Serena. Ah, <gasps> uh, yeah. I only chose <laughs> I that because to do the opposite of what he said. That's the only reason I <laughs> You're chose You're trying to get I points have here. no idea. I haven't been marking, uh, so I don't know who is actually going to be the winner. It's okay. I, I think I'm in the lead. I think okay. you are. <laughs> we'll say you're in the lead. Okay, geography. What country has the most natural lakes? England, Russia, Finland, or Canada? Ooh. Going with Canada. Our friends to the north. Uh, I don't think so. What's the other options? England, Russia, or Finland? Mm. I'm going to choose Finland. You would be wrong. It is Canada. Oh, Bam. Wow, look at so, you. So interesting fact about the Great Lakes, because they're like on the border, you know. The square mileage of the Great Lakes is larger than Texas. Wow. Yeah. I better not guess that. Okay, That's this a lot of water. might be my favorite question. This is animals. A group of ravens is known as what? A murder? Unkindness, flock, or convocation? Going with the murder. Let's just do a basic flock. So a flock is birds in general, but a group of so ravens. But a group of ravens is known as an unkindness. An unkindness an unkind of what? ravens. Who did so all that? of these are actual things. So you have a murder of crows. That's a group oh, of crows. There you go. Crows. An unkindness of ravens, a flock of birds, and then a convocation of eagles. Unkindness. An unkindness. Wow. Look who, at that who unkindness does, of ravens. A, yes. Yeah. Hey, y'all come over to my party tonight. <laughs> a bunch of ravens getting together. We're going to have an unkindness back here. <laughs> wow. No oh, one. Man. No one should have said, no one should have even brought that up. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. That's like the chicken and the egg question. Who, who, who was the first person to say, hey, that chicken just... Drop that out of himself. Let's try to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a dad who was with their kids at the time and said, hey. Hey, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one I feel like is easy, but I don't know. I knew it before I wrote it down. This is science. How many teeth does an adult human have? 27. 30. Hold on. Let me count. <laughs> 27, 30, 24, or 32? I'm trying to count my tongue. Hold on. <laughs> he was doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm saying I should 32, be videoing this one. Know. You said what? 32. 27. 32 is the correct answer. All right. You're winning like 6,000 to two or something. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you get when you're 52. You know some stuff. <laughs> so children, just so you know, have about 20 baby teeth that end up falling out and 32 replace 20. That is crazy. Yeah. I don't understand that. Mm. Okay, this one's humorous. I lied. This one might be my favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> this one's all humor. What is measured in Mickey's? Uh, I, I have uh, choices. Okay. The volume of a mouse, the speed of a computer mouse, the number of mice per square mile, or the speed at which a mouse completes a laboratory maze. Oh, they're all about mouses. 
because they're measured in Mickey's. I know, but. <laughs> and it would be mice, I not mouses. I figured something has nothing to do with mouses. <laughs> I'm going with the computer mouse. Ah. Speed of a computer mouse. I'm going to, I I would agree. Oh, y'all are correct. Ah. So. That's a tie bonus point right there. When I was researching for this question, this was a fun fact. In the wild, mice usually only live for about five months, mostly because of predators such as cats, uh-huh. snakes, and foxes. Uh-huh. But in a lab setting, they can live for about two years. Mm. Yeah. So when do you write the will? You know, yeah. I'm giving over the nest. Right. Is it a five months or is it two years? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question. It's a general question. What is the name of the man who launched eBay back in 1995? Christopher Cockerell, Pierre Omidyar, Peter Durand, or Neil Papworth? Oh, I was going to say Mr. eBay, but then you gave us four options. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recognize any of those names. They are all inventors. <sighs> say them again. Christopher Cockrell, okay. Pierre Omidyar, Peter Durand, and Neil Papworth. Okay, I'm going to rule out Pierre. Okay, no Pierre. I'm going to go with C. <laughs> Whatever name that was. <laughs> that was Peter Durand. Okay, I'm going with Cockrell. Cockrell. Well, unfortunately, the correct answer was Pierre Omidyar. Rah, oh, I ruled yes. out Pierre. <laughs> so he, yeah, he launched eBay. He's never done anything with his life. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> totally made up. <laughs> so Cockrell, Christopher Cockrell invented the hovercraft. Mm. Peter Durand invented the tin can. And Neil Papworth invented text messages. Wow. Oh, we hate him. Yeah, I know. I like the guy that Down invented the hovercraft. I'd like to have one of those <laughs> for the lake. So awesome. Eric, I think, was our big winner. I Good think job, he was. Eric. All Good right, job. I'm going to run my victory lap right now. Hold on a second. <laughs> well, your victory lap includes a run, a swim, and a bike. <laughs> and I'm getting dizzy as we speak. <laughs> All right, so just to wrap it up a little bit, I like to ask everybody what your favorite scripture is, and it doesn't have mm. to be a single verse. It can be a book. It can be a story. It could be just something that really touches your heart time and time again from scripture. The one that's been impressed upon me living here in Hardin-Simmons uh, on campus in Abilene, uh, having moved from Arlington, and it's only two hours away, but it's, it was a, a huge deal to my family. Um, I think it's called, it, there's Jeremiah 29, 11, mm. which a lot of people will quote. But if you read Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the town to which I have carried you into exile. Hmm. Pray to the Lord for it, because when it prospers, you too will prosper. And I, I had to go through that. I was like, okay, whoa, that's pretty meaty there. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the town that I carried into exile. He didn't carry me into exile here. Right. I willingly followed and he said, go. But it's amazing to hear him say, if I carried you into exile to a place where you don't want to be, you still have to seek the peace and prosperity for that. Mm-hmm. So if it's a place I willingly went, certainly I ought to be de- doing that from lesser to greater, I guess. Yeah. We ought to be praying for our cities and the places where we live. Um, and not only just seek the, the peace and prosperity for yourself, but for the town that you're in, for the people who live there, the people you're surrounded with, you ought to be trying to be a blessing to everybody that you walk uh, by the people at the cashier that's giving you an, an espresso at the, at the United, uh, the folks that you see at the restaurants, the folks that you run the red lights and you're unhappy with. <laughs> you ought to be seeking their peace and prosperity. Um, this is controversial. I'm vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got antibodies. 
but I seek the peace and prosperity of the town that I have, mm-hmm. that God's given to me, and I'm going to go get vaccinated too, and I'm going to try to take care. Um, we ought to lovingly care for the town that we have and do what we can to help. Um, and and when we do that, God shows up in my mind. Yeah. Um, now, please don't ever take this as a critique of vaccination because I got folks on both sides. <laughs> I got family on both sides. I got people on both sides. But for me, this is what I, I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And because I do want to seek the peace and prosperity. I don't want folks to go out of business. Um, and I don't, um, I want folks in our town to feel safe and feel good. And I want the public school system to do well. Um, I need them to do well for my kids and for the kids of our, our folks on campus. And so that's been a huge verse for me for really the last five years, five plus years. Yeah. So um, how can our listeners connect with you or with the university? Okay, so I'm going to do something that I do with every single person uh, that comes on campus. I'm going to give you my cell phone, um, and I'm going to give you my email address. Um, and quite frankly, nobody abuses it. Sometimes I get texts in the middle of the night. <laughs> I do get texts once in a while from students when it's snow day. Yeah. One in, around Snowmageddon. Hey, President Brummer, call it. Call it. <laughs> I'm getting it at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Who is this? You know who I am. (laughs) Call it. So here's my phone number, 325-232-5089. And I I love hearing from folks. I love hearing their stories. Uh, And my email is eric.bruntmeyer at hsutx.edu. Bruntmeyer is not spelled the way everybody thinks it's spelled. B-R-U-N-T-M-Y-E-R. We're special. This Bruntmeyer clan is special. Yeah. yeah. Um, but certainly I love hearing people's stories and connecting with them, praying for them, encouraging them in some way. Um, every single solitary visit and meeting with an individual is a divine appointment. And so um, anytime I get to talk to somebody and or hear them, um, there's a reason God's God's doing something. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, inquisition that occurred. (laughs) Folks, if you want to learn more about who Jesus is, you can go to shockwaveministries.com and you can click on the gospel message tab there. You will find the Roman Road and some other references and resources that we've pulled out of different episodes um, in this podcast that will help you along the way of learning who Jesus is and growing in your faith with him as well. You can also click the Testament tab. In the Testament tab, you'll see a microphone. If you click that microphone, you can find all of our podcast episodes that we've launched already. But the website under the Testament tab will also tell you some upcoming episodes we have as well. So folks, I appreciate you listening. Thanks for coming. Bye.